we may t we may talk about that this morning actually I'm not sure but anyway that, that's pretty big news this week from from the world of archaeology if you're interested in the Bible and, and archaeology that to see you know I'd love to see those in person <laughs> but they're again they've just been this one was found about a week ago I think a little over a week ago or it was announced I don't know when it's found and the other one was just announced Isaiah's just a couple of days ago so anyway pretty big news meanwhile let's Skip over that and get back to David. We're going to talk about David today. We'll probably finish up next week with David and get into uh, the, what how Solomon comes to power. But remember, David, when we left him, he's kind of on the run. He's got kind of these ne'er-do-wells with him, not people you'd want to get in business with, probably. Everybody who's in debt, who's, who's discontented, and he's, he's the head man. And, and, this, and this band grows. But he's been anointed, and he's going to become king, but he's not, it's going to be kind of a two-step process, multiple steps. First, he's going to become king over the two tribes of Judah. So he goes up, he's got two wives with him, one of whom is Abigail we talked about last week, Nabal's widow. So he goes, his men with him, and they settle around Hebron. And people from Judah come, they anoint David, and he is now king of Judah, of these two tribes, and there are ten tribes who, who are not part of this yet. So, what happens with them, uh, you know, Abner, we're going to hear a lot more about Abner today, he's, he's the general, uh, so he, he's commander of Saul, he was commander of Saul's army, Saul's dead now, and notice it said he, he had taken Ishbal, son of Saul, and brought him to whatever this is, and made him king over Gilead da, 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 and all Israel. So he's he's now he's David's king of Judah. Uh, Ishbosh, Ish, Ishbal or Ishbosheth, Ishbotheth, uh was king king of Israel. And so he's he's forty years old. He's going to reign for about two years. And we notice it adds here that David's going to be king of Judah, and he's he'll be in Hebron for about seven years, seven and a half years. So we got two kingdoms. The two kingdoms of sort of split, but David's going to reunite them. Ishbosheth, Ishbosheth is maybe uh, when Samuel, Samuel, Saul's sons are listed, there's one named Ishvi that's listed. He's not listed when they give the Saul's sons who were killed in uh, 1 Samuel 31. He's not listed among the ones who are killed. And as, we'll, as you see when you're reading Chronicles and Kings, there are a lot of names that kind of sound alike, but are different. So this this guy may have become Ishbosheth. Uh, there's a belief that the originally his name was Ishbal, and that as Baal became associated with Canaanite gods, some of the editors may have changed it to Ishbosheth. But Ishbal is a lot easier for me to say, as you've noticed. <laughs> so I'm going to call I'm going to call him Ishbal. So anyway, Ishbal is there in, in uh, Israel. So Saul's dead. Remember, he was killed in battle. Uh, he killed himself, but meanwhile, uh, someone who was there at Zik, comes to Ziklag to David, and he thinks, you know, if, if I kill the enemy, kill my, kill David's worst enemy, the guy who's been trying to kill him all this time, there's probably going to be some pretty nice uh, swag for me. I, you know, I'm get rewarded. So he comes, he tells tells David falsely that he killed Saul. What does David do? He takes his life. David said, you killed God's anointed. 
You know, and we, we keep, I want to keep coming back to things I think that make David great. And to me, this is one of them. If, if, if somebody wiped out my worst enemy who's been trying to kill me, I'd probably be pretty happy with that. You know, but David, he, he sees him as enemy, but he, he looks past that and says, no, this man was anointed by God to be king over Israel. And you killed him. Doesn't matter what he doesn't matter he was trying to kill me. You've taken a man that that God and Jonathan as well, that God anointed. And that's a serious thing. And we have if, if you don't have time to reach, you, you can read the, what's called the Song of the Bow, and it has that a, a phrase you've heard long, how the mighty have fallen, as David laments the loss of Jonathan and Saul. That even though these men were, were his enemies. He still recognizes their greatness. So, Saul's dead now. So, Israel and Judah are going to confront again. Uh, they, they meet each other at Gibeon, uh, at the pool of Gibeon. And uh, there's a pool, I guess, at what was Gibeon that you can see now that's believed to be where this occurred. And they start off, I guess, with what you'd call champions. Each one sends 12 men to fight. Uh, maybe there was a hope that if, one, if, if somebody won that fight, it would be over with and you wouldn't have to go to war. But it doesn't, uh, doesn't end it. So they have a fierce battle. And uh, remember, Abner is, is Ishbal's man. So they're defeated. David's, David's men are victorious. So if you're, if you're Abner, what are you going to do? You're going to run away. And I, this is kind of long, but... Uh, Abner, Joab is the general for David. Abner is the general for Ishbal. And uh, Joab has two brothers, Abishai and Asahel. Now, I love this. Asahel was swift of foot as a wild gazelle. He is a runner. He's the guy. He's your marathon guy. And so, so apparently Abner's left on foot. He's running on foot. So here comes Asahel. And he says, look, turns neither to the right nor left. And he's following and Ab Abner looks back and says, is it you, Asahel? And he says, yes. And Abner immediately knows this guy's going to catch me. So he says, look here right or left. So you, know, you can imagine there, there are people from the battle who are there who maybe have been injured, who can't, you know, can't run away. And Abner says, get one of them. <laughs> you know, don't, why, why chase me? There's lots of booty lying around that's just there for the picking. Why don't, you know, why are you chasing me? But Asa Hill would not turn away from following him. Abner sa he says again, turn away from following me. Why should I strike you to the ground? Abner says, you know, if this comes to a fight, I'm going to win. How then could I show my face to your brother Joab? He says, if I have to kill you, I don't want to deal with Joab. But Asa Hill refused that, and, and, and you, I, I, can, I kind of imagine the scene where Abner's running, he's got his spear, and he just stops right before Asa. And Asa Hill runs up on the butt of his spear and is impaled and falls down dead where he, where he lay. And some, some of us old guys knew he got him below the fifth rib. Anybody remember that? King James Version, instead of saying somebody gets stabbed in the stomach, the King James Version always says they stuck him under the fifth rib. Yeah. Yeah, you gotta watch. So I said, watch your fifth. 
let me tell you, you got to watch your fifth rib around a lot of these guys we're going to be talking about today. <laughs> because we're, we're uh, again, we talk, it's a violent culture. So Asa Hill is killed in this, in this pursuit. So Abner, Abner continues on the run. Meanwhile, remember, he's got two brothers, Joab the general and Abishai. And, and they're after Abner. And, and so Abner, he flees. And, and the Benjamites are, are Saul's people. They're probably his most loyal supporters. So Abner and the, and the Benjamites run up on this hill and they say, this is it. We're going to, this is where we're going to make our stand. So then Joab shows up and, and uh, I never, uh, I, I kind of go hot and cold on Abner, but this is one of the things I like about Abner. Abner looks, he calls down to Joab from the top of the hill. He's, and, uh, is the sword to keep devouring forever. That's, that's a passage that we should look at today, I think, as, as we think about conflict and war. And I, I, when I read this, I think about the Civil War. Says, Sword, are we going to do this forever? Do you not know that the end will be bitter? How long will it be before you order your people to turn from the pursuit of their kinsmen? In other words, we're not fighting a, we're not fighting a foreign power here. We're fighting each other. And is the sword going to devour us forever? You know, it's kind of speaking to the, the futility of this war, like, kind of like the futility of the war between the states. We had brother fighting brother. And the end will be bitter. A sad thing. And, and it kind of amazes me here that Joab hears this. And, and he kind of says, I, says I, I, was ready to, I was ready to go. I was ready to wipe you guys out. He said, as God lives, if you had not spoken... The people would have continued to pursue their kinsmen, not stopping till morning. Notice he doesn't say now, Abner said they would have continued to pursue their kinsmen. And so they sound the trumpet, and the people stop, and they leave. You know, uh, kind of, I think, a really great statement about both men, that, that Abner sees the futility of this war and points it out to Joab, and Joab turns around. Because the way I read this, uh, this was set up to be a last stand. He's got a group of Benjamites with him, and they're, they've kind of retreated to the last place they can retreat to. But Joab relents. So Abner, uh, Abner is left alive. Okay, and we read more about, you know, basically the war goes on, even though we had this one incident. David is, is growing stronger, and Saul's house is, is continuing to grow weaker. Uh, the handwriting's kind of on the wall. Meanwhile, Abner... Remember when we first talked about Ishbal becoming king? We don't read anything about him being anointed. Who, who made him king? Abner. Th this is the guy who's running things. Ishbal may be the king, but Abner's the power. He's got the army behind him. Uh, so now we come along, and Ishbal is accused. Uh, he accuses Abner of sleeping with actually just just Rizpah, just one of Saul's concubines, who's now his concubine. And uh, Abner is just incensed. He says, "Am I a dog's head for Judah?" And I looked at a lot of commentaries. There's a lot of confusion about what this means, but basically, he, I think he's saying, "Am I just a pawn for Judah? Do you think that's all I am? Is I, I'm doing what David tells me to do?" So he says. Today I keep showing loyalty to the house of your father Saul, to his brothers, to his friends, and have not given you the hand of David. He said, I could, I could have. 
I could have just said, here it is, David. Yet you charge me with a crime concerning this woman. So may God do to me, Abner, and so may he add to it. Uh, notice he's never denied it. <laughs> he's, he's kind of fussed about it, but he's never denied that he, he slept with his concubine. But here, here's kind of, uh, he, I think, where he crosses, you'd say crosses the Rubicon for Caesar. Here's where he makes his decision. He says, just what the Lord has sworn to David, that will I accomplish for him, to transfer the kingdom from the house of Saul and set up the throne of David over Israel and over Judah from Dan to Beersheba. And uh, notice Ishbal could not answer Abner another word because he feared him. Again, Abner's, Abner's the power. He put Ishbal there because Israel needed a king and he realized he wasn't it. Ishbal was Saul's son. He was the likely person. He's left alive. But make no mistake, Abner is running the show. And he's pretty much just told Ishbal it's over. So we have a little negotiation here. Abner comes uh, and he says, To whom does the land belong? He says, Make your covenant with me and I will give you my support to bring all Israel over to you. He says, I can... You know, he's like kind of like a politician today. He says, I can deliver. You want Ohio? I can deliver Ohio or whatever. And David replies, he says, I'll make your covenant. But one thing, you know, I mean, talk about making an absolute demand. He says, you will never come into my presence. Not, not let's negotiate. He says, you, do, you don't show up unless you bring Saul's daughter, Michelle, when you come to see me. Give my wife Michelle, to whom I became engaged at the price of 100 foreskins of the Philistines. He says, okay, we're going to start negotiating, but know this. We don't start until that woman is back. Because in the meantime, you know, Mary, he was given Michelle, and the, the stuff we talk, and again, I call her Michelle because I don't like calling Michael. It doesn't sound very feminine, so I call her Michelle. Anyway, it's easier for me to think about her as Michelle. So anyway, Michelle is, uh, is what we talked about with Michelle last week is going to happen in the future, okay? It's not happened yet. So Ish, he goes to Ishbal, sends the word to Ishbal, and Ishbal goes, she's married to this guy, Paul Teil or whatever, the son of Laish. Uh, and it's, kinda, it's a sad scene. He takes her away, and her husband Walks behind. You know, I can imagine this guy walking behind. They've taken his way, and he just—he's just sobbing, walking behind him. And and finally, uh, Abner says, "Go back home." He walks however far that is, and he goes back. And again, from what we've seen from Abner, Abner said, "Go back." I go back. He's guy didn't fool around. So, and and keep this in mind as you think back to that story we talked about last week, where Michelle was so disgusted with David. This, this may give us an indication that she wasn't really happy. You know, at one time she loved David, but at this point she's being torn away from what appears to be a happy family to be delivered like a piece of meat to David. Okay. Now, Abner sent word of the... So Abner, they've got Michelle back. Now he sends word to the elders of Israel who are over uh, Ishbal said, some time past you've been seeking David as a king over you. Now then bring it about. Let's do it. For God has promised David so and so. You know, so, and so. so it's going to happen. Uh, and then he goes to the Benjamites. Remember, these are the guys who, who his most loyal soldiers. So he talks to them, makes sure they're on board. He goes to tell David, 
at Hebron, most were still at Hebron, and the whole house of Benjamin, they were ready to go. In other words, I've talked to the elders, I've talked to the army, this is going to happen, no, no problem. Okay, so, we get back a little filth rib action again. Joab, you know, Joab comes up and he is furious. He goes to David and says, what have you done? You had Abner right here, and you let him go. This is, the, this is the other side's general. You know that Abner, the son of Ner, came to deceive you and learn all your comings and goings and to learn all that you are doing. In other words, he's just here getting intel. Don't believe he's going he's gonna to roll over and come to our side. He's just getting what he needs to know to, to kill you. So, and again, remember, Abner killed Joab's brother. No love lost. So anyway, Abner comes back to Hebron as part of the deal. Joab meets him in the gateway to speak with him privately and stabs him in the stomach. So he died for shedding the blood of Asa Hill, Joab's brother. Uh, family violence, you know, revenge. It's, it's a world we don't live in, really. But it was the world, it's the world of the Old Testament, the world of uh, that area. It was a violent world. And again, we see some of that in the Middle East. Uh, you know, I've, told, I've told some of you my son was a helicopter pilot in, in Iraq. Did three tours. And he flew, he flew combat helicopters. They, were, you know, they didn't transport troops. It held two men and a bunch of guns. And he said one of their biggest problems, he said, is that they'd have somebody come and they'd say, oh, you know, this, this group of folks over here, they're, they're, they're in with Saddam Hussein really tight. They've been carrying out all these bombings. They've been killing Marines. So you need to go wipe them out. And he said, what? then they'd start doing checkups, and they'd find that, no, these people weren't aligned with Saddam. But 20 years ago, they killed two sons of this other family. And so this family's wanting the Marines to get their revenge for them. He said that was one of the biggest problems they had was sorting out intel to decide, you know, when, when, a, when a family came to them or someone, you know, someone came to them, very often they just wanted the Marines to do their killing for them. You know, they, these people hadn't done anything except they'd done something to them 10, 20, 30 years ago, and there was family honor involved, and they thought, well, rather than risking our lives, we'll get the Marines to go out and kill them. So things in some ways haven't changed, this kind of honor-based society. All right. George, do you, do you know what the significance of, of Hebron is? Uh, no. I mean, you know, that when the, when the uh, kingdom split, there's uh, the golden calf or whatever is up in Dan, mm. and there's another one in Beersheba. But what, I'm trying to figure out what, what the significance of Hebron is. Well, you know, I, I'll, I'll try to look at that for next week, but, you know, Right now, as we're going to see in a minute, Jerusalem's still held by the Jebusites. Uh, it's, it's, it's not, David can't go there because he, you know, the Jebusites won't let him in. So it's, well, I'll look into it, and you can look into it, and we'll see who comes next week. But it's, if there's any special significance. But this is where, again, for seven and a half years, David's going to be, be king over Judah. All right. You know, it's where Sarah died. That's where? Sarah. Well, that's, that's where the cave of Ophelia is, yes. yeah. where Abraham and 
where all the uh, yeah, problems are, but I still don't know why they would pick that as the place to run government. Yeah. So. Um, it was the Levitical city of refuge. Yeah. Under Joshua. Okay. Well, look, yeah, we'll see if we can come up with some more about Hebron. Anyway, Abner is dead. Uh, David is not pleased. He forced jo forces Joab to mourn. And, and we're told that David wept in his grave. And, and he again gives a speech. And again, you see this great poet who writes the Psalms. He says uh, a, a phrase I, most of us have heard in our lives. Do you not know that a prince and a great man has fallen this day in Israel? So David had a great... Interesting, even, even though Abner was on the other side, David had great respect for him and apparently great affection for him and realized his greatness, how he had served Saul faithfully. So Abner is gone now. So now, what's left? Well, Ishbal's still around. So again, there's always, there's always somebody, it seems, some cowardly fellows who think, man, if we, if we kill David's enemy... We'll get rewarded. So these two fellows, Rahab and Banna, they go out. They come in the heat of the day to Ishbal's house. While he's resting, he's probably asleep. They come inside. They fifth rib him again, strike him in the stomach. And so they escape, and they actually escape with his head. They behead him, thinking, oh, we'll take Ishbal's head to David and get rewarded. And we kind of know how that's going to work out, right? They bring it in and said, Here's the head of Ishbal, son of Saul, your enemy who sought your life. The Lord has avenged the Lord, my Lord, the king this day. And on Saul and his offspring. He says, Okay, here, you, you know, they claim God's support in, in avenging. Notice, my, my Lord is David, that Lord is God, but they, we've avenged my Lord, the king. Now, we know how this is going to end. He said, as Jehovah lives, who has redeemed my life out of every adversity, when the one who told me see Saul is dead thought he was bringing good news, I seized him and killed him at Ziklag. This is the reward I gave him for his news. How much more then when wicked men have killed a righteous man in his own house while he's resting shall not require blood at your hand and destroy you from the earth? So David says, killing a man in cold blood is not something I'm going to reward, especially when he is, is the son of Saul. So again, more guys are killed. So now it's time to retake Jerusalem. We're going to move on, kind of keep moving. So they march. Remember now, Israel and Judah are united. So they march to Jerusalem against the Jebusites. Who had, and these guys had said to David, you will not come in here. Even the blind and lame will turn you back. They're, they're pretty confident of their fortress there at Jerusalem, apparently. They said, you know, we, we don't need our soldiers. We'll just send the blind and the lame out, and they'll, they'll repulse your attack. Okay, David and said, David cannot come here. Nevertheless, we're told just that simply he took the stronghold of Zion, now the city of David, occupied the stronghold, named it, and, and we're told they built it out, and became, so they increased the, uh, the city and built it out and made it greater than it was. So now David is set up in Jerusalem. Ishbal is dead. He is the king over the United Kingdom of Israel. Uh, just a word about Jebusites, and we'll talk more about the Jebusites next week in Jerusalem. 
But back in Joshua, when, when they're going into the land, the Jebusites is m mentioned as one of the people that says, uh, the living God who will without fail drive out from before you all these folks in the Jebusites, or some of them. But then that's Joshua 3. By the time we get to Joshua 15, it's not quite that easy. People of Judah could not drive out the Jebusites, and so the, the inhabitants of Jerusalem. So the Jebusites still live with the people of Jerusalem to this day when, when Joshua was written. And we have a similar statement early in Judges. So the Jebusites aren't too strong, but David David eventually accomplishes this. Joshua doesn't accomplish it. Uh, it's not not accomplished until the time of David. But they're cocky. Oh yeah. And you see, you, you saw that. You will not get in here, even our blind and yeah. lame guys. Yeah. So, so, so we don't, again, we don't need soldiers. We'll, we'll send we'll send a blind man up there. Yeah, they're very cocky. And they said David cannot come in here. That's that's what they thought. And I, Again, they must have had some incredible fortress, is all I can think. But uh, So now da we're, we finally got David set up, and I put this in. This is kind of, we've mentioned before, almost all the kings, we find a, this sort of formula, formulaic statement of their reign. Uh, and it's, this, it's pretty much the same wording every time for every king. We're told how old he was when he began to reign, how long he reigned, and this time we have kind of a footnote that he reigned in, over Judah seven and, a half month, seven and a half years, and then over the United Kingdom for 33 years. So just a reminder, you run across these, and sometimes they're at the, at the first of the story about the guy's reign, sometimes they're in the middle, but anyway, sometimes, but every, almost every king will see this kind of statement about. Just a summary, and you can add the numbers up. So. David goes to Nathan, the prophet. He thinks, you know, here I am. I've, uh, and again, if, if we're skipping a lot of stuff. If you read, he went to Hiram, the king of Lebanon, and got cedars imported, built this great house. And he says, here I am living in a house of cedar, but the ark of the God of God is still in a tent. You know, and, and again, he thought, I thought, well, this is not right, that I've, I'm living in a nice house. And so he goes, to, he goes to Nathan, and Nathan says, well, you know, that makes sense to me. You know, you want to do something good for God, that's, that's a good thing. But then Nathan has second thoughts, and he says, well, you know, better ask God to see what he says about this. And this is, I've just pulled a couple of things out here. And Nathan asked for God, and God said, did I ever speak a word with any of my tribal leaders of Israel whom I commanded and shepherded my people, saying, why have you not built me a house of cedar? God says, I've never asked for this. You know, it's kind of a nice intention. <coughs> and, and so it's, David is not going to build this house. And Chronicles uh, tells us more detail why David is not going to build it. David says here, I plan to build a house of the rest of the Ark of the Covenant. Puts to God and made preparations, which again you can read about in both books, that he, he was getting the cedars, he was you know, looking at workmen. God said to, to me, you shall not build a house in my name, build a, a house for my name. You're a warrior and have shed blood. In other words, he was, he was you know, we've seen it over and over. David is a, is a man of action. And God says, you know, that you're, not the, you're not the person to build a house for me. So, so and again, despite the prophet, you know, Nathan first says, go right ahead. But then he thinks better of it and seeks advice and gets, gets an answer. Okay. But 
God goes ahead, and, and this is part of his message to David. You know, he says, you're going to die, and I'm going to raise up offspring after you who will come back forth from your body, establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be a father to him, and he shall be a son to me. So the que question I want us to think about briefly today, and we're going to talk about this more later on. Who is this prophecy referring to? Yeah, Solomon or Jesus. And we see a similar, a similar wording in Chronicles 17. Uh, this is Hebrews where, where some of these passages are quoted. You know, to which of the angels did God ever say, you're my son today, I've begotten you, or again, I will be his father, he will be my son. Where it cites these is referring to Jesus. But right after this, the next sentence says, when he, when he commits iniquity, I will punish him with a rod and use more, such as mortal Jews and with blows inflicted by human beings. Did Jesus commit iniquity? No. So, who does this apply to? Well, it applies to both of them. And, and we're going to spend almost a whole Sunday talking about this idea of dual fulfillment of prophecies in May. I've got a lesson where we'll talk about that. But there are many prophecies, uh, and they're all, if you really get into theology, there's a lot of terms for this. The, greater fulfillment and the lesser, but that have an immediate fulfillment in the Old Testament, but then find an additional fulfillment in, in Jesus. So again, I, I think the answer is it applies to both of them. And, and as we're going to see there, this is not the only prophecy like that. It's very common. So David has been promised this, and we're going to talk about, uh, we talked about Tamar, Somebody mentioned Tamar from Genesis uh, 38. What, what happened to that Tamar? We have two Tamars, and there's some real interesting commonalities between them. She was married to a guy named Ur. And he had two brothers, Onan, and I can't remember the other one start with an S. But. So she's married to Ur. Ur dies and she didn't have a child. So, Judah, who is the father of these three guys, goes to Onan and says, you need to do your duty and provide an heir for, for Ur. You need, you need to have sex with Tamar and get her pregnant. And what does Onan do? He spills his seed on the ground. And, and when I grew up, I thought this was a, a deal about sex, about, you know, but it's not about money. With, there's what's called, it's, we're looking at what's called Leveret Law. Leveret is a, Levere is a Latin word for brother. But let's say the oldest child in the family got a double portion of inheritance. So let's say old Judah's worth 600K. Okay, and we're going to divide it up. Well, with three sons and one getting a double portion, the oldest is going to get what, 400, 300K. Get my, I get my accountants in the year over here. And the other two are going to get 150K each. Okay? Now, what if there are only two sons? See, and the thing is, if Onan gets Tamar pregnant, that's Ur's son. So this, is, this goes into effect. He, he gets 400 and 
whatever his name is, gets 200. Well, so he's looking at the difference between 150K and 400,000. <laughs> Man, I ain't getting her pregnant. Why would I do that? You know, why am I, I going to throw away $250,000? So this is, this, is, this is not about sex, it's about money. But Tamar, what a, you know, interesting, interesting woman. Somebody tell us what Tamar does. Hmm? She sets up a steam. She sets up a steam. What is, what is she, how does she do it? She does what? Dresses how? Dresses like a prostitute. Sits out there. And Judah is getting their shearing sheep. And she propositions Judah, her father-in-law. And, it, and it's ultimately his responsibility to provide that heir under Leverett Law. And Judah says, sure. So... They do their business. And Judas, she said, well, what's, what's you going to pay me? He said, well, I'll give you a kid, a, a young goat or a young sheep. He said, but I don't have it with me now. And what did she say? What did she say, give me instead? Give me, yeah, give me something, you know. And he gives her his seal, that little bulla and a cord that was on. And he says, okay, you, you take these and I'll come, I'll come back with a kid and we'll exchange it. Well, she disappears. So anyway, so now three months later, Judah finds out that his daughter-in-law is pregnant. And he says, you've been playing the harlot. And he calls her in and he wants to know the, who the father is and what does she do? She pulls out that cord and seal. says, this is the father. And, and Judah repents and lets her realizes he's done wrong. He, he should have given that younger son to her. But anyway, so we ha we're going to see two women named Tamar and, and both involved in, in sexual uh, shenanigans or whatever. But, but now this is a different Tamar, same name. But she's David's daughter. She's uh, Absalom's sister. And she has a half-brother named Amnon, and he falls in love with her. And, uh, and no, he's, he is, he's infatuated. He's so tormented, he made himself ill because his sister was a virgin and it seemed impossible for Amlon to do anything to her. He's just obsessed. So his friend Jonadab comes and says, okay, here's what we do. You're going to lie down and, and act like you're sick and pretend to be sick. Oh, you're so sick. And when David comes, you say, well, oh, let my sister Tamar come and bring me something to eat and make the food for me so I can see it and eat it from her hand. And uh, so he, he, he follows suit. He, you know, David comes to see him. He plays out the scene. David comes to Tamar. So Tamar goes over there, and there he is. You know, this is, talk about a Me Too moment. Uh, so she prepares the food, and he says, oh, she sets it all out, you know, and she says, oh, I don't want to eat. And he says, send everybody else out of the room. So they send everybody out. And he says, just bring it over so that I can eat that right out of your hand. I'm just imagining him saying, I'm too weak to get out of bed. So she brings the cakes to his chamber. And she brought, the, brought them near. He took hold of her and said to her, come lie with me, my sister. And, and she tries to resist. He says, do not force me. 
Such a thing is not done in Israel. Do not do anything so vile. Where, in other words, for me, where could I carry my shame? You know, she really, you know, knows she'll be ostracized from society. Says, as for you, you would be one of the, like one of the, as one of the scoundrels in Israel. It's going to be bad for you too. It's ruin your reputation. Now, she offers to marry him. She says, I beg you, speak to the king, for he will not withhold me from you. Uh, it's not real common for half-siblings to marry, but it does happen in the Old Testament. It says, just don't rape me. Let's, let's get married. But she would, he, would not, she would not, he would not listen to her, and being stronger than she, he forced her away and lay with her. And now the principle back in Genesis of a man and a woman being husband and wife, and yet the unfolding of multiple wives, yeah. the dynamics in that causes problems, even though God tolerated yeah. it. Uh, never seemed to be a peaceful yeah. deal. Jealousy and the yeah. interpersonal relationships of all. Yeah. And we see again how. The, the poison that this brings. Now, instead of being infatuated with her, he's filled with a great loathing for her. Heart, for her. And notice the wording here. His loathing was even greater than the love. No. The word love is not used here. Greater than the lust he had felt for her. He says, get out. And she says, no, my brother, for this wrong in sending me away is greater than the other that you did to me. She stands up for herself. Kind of a, you remember, like the other Tamar. She says, you're not just sending me away for this. So anyway, uh, he brings help in and they throw her out. Uh, and she, we're told that she was wearing a garment that showed she was a virgin. Uh, so she takes ashes, she tears the robe and cries as she leaves. And again, we see family honor we see revenge. Absalom comes to her, her brother, and you know, and it's interesting. He knows what's happened. You know, I don't know how he knows, but he immediately knows what's happened. He he, he says, "Be quiet. He's your brother. Do not take this to heart." So she, again, a sad story. She remains a desolate woman uh, as a result of Amnon's uh, rape. David hears about it. He's angry. But it's interesting. He says he would not punish his son Amnon because he loved him for he was his firstborn. So David refuses to take any action. Uh, so, fast forward two years. Absalom had, remember, it's interesting, again, kind of just, Judah was involved in shearing sheep when he lay with Tamar. Now, two years later, two years after the rape, Absalom has men, has men up shearing sheep. So Absalom says, Let, "Let's everybody go up. Uh, we're going to celebrate shearing sheep. We'll have have a big banquet when it's all done." Uh, King and his servants go with him. King says, "No, you know, let us all not go, or else we'll be burdensome to you." And so Absalom says, "Well, at least let my brother Amnon go with us." He said. Why should you go? Why should Amnon go? But Absalom presses. I don't know if David didn't get. Maybe he thought everything was fine after two years. So Absalom makes a feast, uh, and then they kill Absalom and they flee. Uh, or Absalom kills Amnon. 
we're, we're running over. We'll stop here. We'll pick up next week and, and see, again, tra this tragedy leads to more tragedy. And again, I guess what I'd say, if you think your family has problems, look at David's family. Not many of you have had a, a son rape his half-sister, I think, or kill, and then another son kill him. We'll pick up and, and go through this kind of family tragedy as we go on and wrap up David next week. Well, thanks for coming. Appreciate it. If you have any suggestions, let me know, and uh, be glad. Anything you'd like to see co covered, we didn't cover. Thanks.